ready to go? You were. You I'm good. I'm thing. good. I'm good. No, you're not. You always pick on me, man, about the Bob. And I do do the Bob. That's because I'm the one that has to clean up this crap. I, oh, you're feisty today. <laughs> Welcome to the Metacast. <laughs> I never thought. Let me that help happened. you. Let me help you. I'm Josh Anderson. Wow. Right. Do we help you? All you right. want me to start over? It, it might be nice. Welcome to the Metacast. And then you go. No, no, you go. Welcome to the Metacast. I'm Josh Anderson. Do I do that really? Yes. Oh, okay. You've been doing that for six freaking years. <laughs> What's wrong with you? And I'm a dog here. I'm waiting. I'm like patient. I'm waiting for my cue. What do you? What are you doing? For real? I gotta go back. Okay. All right. Well, then I'll do it. Welcome to Medicast. I'm Bob uh, Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. And that was a crappy beginning. It was. Let's cut it. Cut it. That was. No. That's beneath us. No. We. What really is beneath us? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. So let's try it. Welcome to the Medicast. I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. See, that's the natural flow. And that was smooth, wasn't it? That silky was like smooth. S- silky smooth jazz. You always go to jazz. Jazz is. I'm a, a jazz kind of guy. Do you listen to jazz like every day? I, almost every day. Really? Yeah. And I like that smooth, like that sort of saxophone jazz. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Do you have to get quieter? What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. Well, you have to. You can't be too excited. I mean, jazz. <laughs> This is not like a mosh pit or something. This is jazz. It calms the soul. It calms right. the savage bees. I've actually been listening to classical more, like when I need to work. You're listening to classical music? Mm-hmm. It's clearly had no effect whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> oh. so we should get to the point. We're, yeah. just, we're just bantering. This is just our upfront banter. It is. So, Metacasters, uh, welcome to the show. What are we going to talk about today, Josh? Continuous improvement, kind of like our intros. They get continually better. We did. You know what? Without thinking about it, we sucked and then we got slightly better. How cool was <laughs> that? Yep. All right. So we did. We, we lead by example. Mission accomplished. Uh, Medicare. Thanks for listening. So find find us. You can find <laughs> us on YouTube. And We're on YouTube now. No. <laughs> oh, I, I misspoke, didn't I? <laughs> it's one of those things. Yeah. One of those services. One of those dot coms. So how do you – that's expanded. We were talking pre medicast um, uh, continuous improvement. How do you foster that as a culture? Mm-hmm. Uh, tips, techniques, uh, leadership techniques, scrum master techniques, any technique. Uh, what are you looking for in a? And it is part of. The, I mean, it's it's a baseline entry criteria for agile from my point of view, right? It's like one of those. If it, there was a license, if there was a driver's license for agile. To me, one of the bullet points would be, you know, I subscribe to continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I am trying to improve over time. Right. Everything, me, my personally, my team, my processes. So, do you have any stories? Why don't you kick it off? Because you live in the real world here. I just live in like coach land. Coach land. Coach land, and I just I, I parachute into a company and I run out after I've destroyed their spirit. So, uh, what happens here at the dude? Yeah. So the thing that I, as Bob threw this idea out, I got real quiet, and he thought I was poo pooing it, but it really was just. I needed to think through. Did you just say poo poo? I did say poo poo. 
as a verb. <laughs> did, you, did you think I was going to let that poo-poo go by? I was hoping. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me not poo-poo your poo-poo. Please continue. Thank you. I was thinking through, because to me it's such a foundational cultural thing with how you operate. If you're going to do it for real and really walk the walk, it's got to be the fabric of who your organization is and what are, how do you make that happen without just having it being baked in from the start? To me, that's where my, my gears were turning, trying to figure out how do you do that? Like I've talked about how lucky we are here at the dude. We started with nothing. So I didn't have to overcome historical baggage of, we don't do that kind of stuff. We don't do that here. Hackathon was just, that's what we do. We do it once a quarter now. And everybody's really excited, including executives and everybody else that goes along with that. Of Oh, holy crap, that's really cool. When's the next one? And now there's 50 ideas. But where did that idea come from, the, the notion of a hackathon? Where it, I mean, it didn't just pop up at the dude. It, it had to instantiate the itself. The ordinance of where – I mean, it goes back to Google and their 20% time and things that they had. But I know that. But there's right. – there's As far as where we got it? Yeah. I mean, who – I mean, it didn't just pop through the doorway into right. and and sort of jump up. I mean, either you had the idea or someone had. So where did the the notion of it come from? It Here. was something that was on my radar of things to do. But what really made it happen was the engineers that we hired kept saying, we need to do this. We need to do this. When are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? We've talked about it. When's it actually going to happen? So Richard and I finally said, okay, listen, we've been talking about this. We've been wanting to do it. Everybody's saying, why aren't we doing this? Let's just make it happen. So we put a line in the sand, and the first one was a little bit messy. Actually, it was even messier than that. There was one day when we had a snow day here, and folks were trying to figure out what to do, and I just kind of all willy-nilly, like, let's make it a hackathon day. And everybody's like, what? You know, what, really? And it just fell flat because it was just kind of on the whim. There, of, was, hey, no, there was no preparation Right, there was all. no prep. There was no direction. There was no anything. So that was just a horrible mess. Really, I looked back, like, what was I doing? But then – we, we really put something in place of this is what a hackathon is for us. Um, Atlassian has a very well-documented approach to how they do it, and they actually publish a schedule of these are the things you need to do X number of months ahead of time, X number of weeks ahead. Do they, do they really? Yeah. This is, this is what you do night before, day of. Oh, I like that. The last day. It, it's a but full it's a schedule. hackathon. I mean, it's the the term they use is hackathon. Or I think something. they call it ship it days or something oh, like they, that. Oh, that's right. They do yeah. have a unique term for yeah, it. Yeah, because they called it FedEx days. Of you know, they, early on it was FedEx. Right, days. and then they got into some troubles and they changed it to ship it days. Okay, um, right. but that's so. But let's go back to what you said. Right. So people here were paying attention. Keep me honest, they were paying attention to industry mm -hmm. and some ideas and trends. Uh, they were you, you hired some great people who had the courage to bring up some ideas. Right. Uh, they were relentless or partially relentless <laughs> were, in, in bringing fully it relentless. up. Right, relentless. Yeah. But then you ha you and um, Richard had to support it, my, primarily you. Right. So you could have shot it down. Yep. You're, you're the big dog here. You're yep. the leader. Uh, so you were open-minded to it. Yeah. Then you – then I mean, this is a nice story of continuous improvement. Then you went down in flames. You mm -hmm. tried it once. Yep. And you failed. Right. Which is, I actually think, it probably made your heck of your uh, whatever. You, what are you calling them? We call them hackathons. So it made your hackathons. I, I, I bet the failure made the next one yeah. more successful. Yeah, because it forced us to really invest in 
what's the right way to deliver what this means, yep. how it's going to operate, what are the ground rules, what's just the – how does it operate? Yep. So that's a good story. And then you went into it. So what are the components of that idea, mm-hmm. courage, uh, leadership, so fostering, sort of supporting uh, continuous learning. Right. And trying things out, right? Continuous improvement. Yeah, the experimentation thing. We need to experiment on yep. things and try to build that in. And we do try and foster some of that in our planning of the 70-30 time. So we target 70% of our efforts during a sprint in in aggregate, not every sprint. We don't have like, okay, 70% and now right. 30%. But as we step back and look across the year, 70% focused on product features. Right. 30% is everything to prevent technical debt from growing and to do the upgrades and things like that. But the part that was missing was just that experimentation Correct. of, okay, we want to try this. We have this crazy idea. We know there's no business value as you see it right now, but just give us a day and let us figure right. it out. So trying to foster that. What's well, even space. I mean, forget, I mean, yeah, it's nice to produce things, but you're giving the team creative license, right. a little bit of space. It's like a recharge of the brain. So, so I'm going to challenge you a little bit back at the beginning because you, you act too humble sometimes. Mm-hmm. You're like the dude, it's Greenfield. So things just happened here. I don't think things just happen here. It doesn't just like, like, like a little, you know, you come in one morning and there's like a, a continuous improvement daisy popping up through the floor. Right. You're guiding, take credit, you're guiding it. Mm-hmm. You're leading it. You're now you're guiding it in the right way. You're guiding it softly. You're encouraging. So that's what I what I'm trying to get at is I think continuous improvement is not what is it uh, like did you, it, did you, is it nature or nurture? I think continuous improvement is nurtured into an organization. Yeah. Uh, and it just, so would you buy that? Yeah. So it was one of those things that the engineers kept saying, "Hey." We want to do this. We want to do this. We want to do this. And then when I finally got everything lined up and said, we're doing this for real, they were like, really? That's really going to happen? When's it going to happen? And they got excited because they were – it's something that they've wanted to do. Yep. And maybe they did kind of sort of partially wasn't fully supported. Um, and we said, okay, we're doing it, and we're doing it for real because we like to, like, really do it. Yeah. So, um, And the thing that was interesting is – um, there have been a couple of times I've had to stick my neck out on a couple of things because they wanted to, to do ideas with technology or you saw the big board over there of, yeah. hey, we want to spend, you know, $300 on lumber. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, can we expense that? Like, are you going to approve it? And So, like, Medi- so Medicasters, I'll just try to give you a, a brief visualization. Uh, there's a, a, a PI planning or release planning board that Josh's team uh, constructed as, as one of their hackathon. And this thing is like, what, two by sixes and, and, and like, duty. like bolts. You know, it's it's a heavy duty. It could resist, you know, a Category 3 hurricane mm-hmm. board. It's it's incredibly cool, and it's huge. I mean, it, it's – I don't know how, how long is it, like eight feet? Probably longer, yeah. eight to ten feet long. Yeah, yeah. about – Seven or eight feet tall. So that's a little bit of a risk. It's like, you know, I thought you guys were doing software. What are you doing constructing? Right. <laughs> you know, what are the chainsaws about? Right. So it was those things of the loose guidelines that I tried to give the team is have it have some general value to our business. Yep. That's it. Just be able to say this helps us do X, Y, and Z better. And there have been a couple times where, hey, we want to buy a Echo from Amazon. We want to... 
by the servos and make this Michael Jackson thing that when somebody says scope creep, it waves its hand and does a dance. Right. You know, but behind the scenes, what it really ended up doing was it showed the power of through the echo, we could create a work order. So yeah, they did something fun in creating that, but also did you actually do right. you integrated in an echo? Right. So now we could say echo, create a work order for table 12 and it would create it within our system would call the APIs and do all that stuff. How cool is that? So, it's all those things that giving them the flexibility to experiment with the yeah. echo to make the Michael Jackson thing yeah. turned into, okay, now that we have that proven that we can actually talk to the echo. Now we can pass it to the API yeah. and create work orders or do whatever we want to do. So it's things like that where we open up the path or, Hey, I want to buy a raspberry Pi and a GPS chip and plug it into the car and track it. You so know? continuous improvement coming back, continuous improvement, in this case, is the hackathons. It's creativity, innovation, and I, I am giving you credit. Not all. I mean, the right. team, but you're fostering the environment. You're right. creating space for it. Let's switch gears. Let's talk about maybe another tactic: uh, retrospectives. So that's the one thing I'll never let go. That we have to do that. That the team can change anything in Scrum, except for that. The retrospectives have to stay. So in line with the Agile Donut, where we take Scrum and we just keep stacking it on top of itself, that we have retrospectives at multiple levels. So each squad has a retro. But then once a month, we have a retro at the tribe level, where we get representatives from each squad to come in and talk about, as a tribe, over the past month, here's what we've done better. Here's what we need to fix. Here's some crazy ideas. And then we go and we plan those out, like, okay, we're going to do these five things over the next month and then we come back and we do it again so we try and do it across as many levels as possible to keep that focus on how do we get better do you do release retrospectives in any way like we don't because we ship every sprint so so it's really not yeah it's, it's not but uh, so again from a culture and and again i don't want to put you up on a pedestal but it's okay I, but what i'm saying but sort of i am right. but but continuous improvement doesn't just happen it's not like you you put a you know a CI grenade into a team, right. and I don't think you you build it into the culture. So the retrospectives is another place. What, what if the, I, the, I have a hypothetical for you? Let me let me. Yeah. What if the teams come out of a retro with some really like like sandbaggy things, like they you know they failed. I'm, it would not happen here, mm-hmm. but but just try to put yourself in this position. They the team really had a rocky sprint. Right. And and they come out with a trivial change. And you think you know out of a set of two or three things that they have serious problems. Uh, but they didn't attack the serious problems. They attacked a trivial. It was like a defense mechanism. And then they do that again and again. Or they're having retros, but they're not really following through. Uh, so they're doing retros, but they're doing them half-heartedly. Mm-hmm. And there is no – they're maybe regressing on their continuous improvement. How would you react to that? There's – a couple of gates that would prevent that from happening from our scrum masters to our directors. But I read every retro write up. So I don't go to the retros. That was some advice you gave me a few years back. That's made a huge difference. But what I do require is that the squads write down what the retros are. Okay. So, so in, you get a readout, you get sort of an anonymous readout of right. what was going on in the output. Right. And the thing that they're really good at, at is, in Confluence, they create an action for these are the things we're going to try. Okay. So they go and they check them off like we actually did this. Or they go and look like, oh, man, we, we've we had that as a try for three retros in a row 
and we haven't done anything about it. Right. So that's out there. So it makes them self-accountable because they do look at the retros prior to the one that they're in now. But with it being on Confluence, I can ask questions. And I've done that a couple times. Not a lot. Maybe like three or four times in the past year or so. But you're paying attention. Right. You're, you're, you're telling yeah. them right. that I'm reading it. Right. Right. And then you're asking you know, targeted questions like if nothing was accomplished, you would ask a question about that. Yeah. Or you might follow up with a scrum master, right? You it might. depends on – right. So it depends on the situation. I might go ask someone like, hey – this felt like this last sprint, but I didn't see anything in the retro that's attacking it and then go from there. Or if it was just blatant or something, I'd go in, I'd leave a comment and say, Hey, what about this? Or it feels like this might be right. a real problem. Did you guys discuss it? Or what do you think? And then the so, dialogue starts. So I think you're influencing another sort of tactic or it's you're showing interest mm -hmm. and you're, and you're paying attention. And I don't think there's a number of, you know, you don't have to ask a question today. Right. But the team knows that you're you, – so you're giving them space. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're giving them space for continuous improvement. Yep. You're emphasizing it as part of the retro, and you're paying attention to it. And, and if you don't see it, uh, you'll, you'll challenge them on it. You'll right. call folks on it. You, you expect that as part of – so that becomes part of the culture. But you're leading that. You're leading that as a priority for the culture. Mm -hmm. So there's one thing I want to talk about. In our journey to get to where continuous improvement is just part of who we are and we don't even think about it, it just yeah. happens, is when we first started, we had a real fear around failing. Everybody was afraid to fail. So I kept pushing of it's okay to fail. Let's fail. Let's celebrate the failure. Kind of like Jurgen yesterday in the keynote talking about his failure. Good. I think failure is good. But we got to a point where we became comfortable with failing, and we had to snap them back out of it. So we had a tribe gathering where I said, we're too comfortable with failing. We're, we're, we're here to ship software. We're here to win. We need to try to win and not just be okay with, yeah, we failed that sprint. No, we failed that sprint. And we learned. We failed. We learned. We failed. We learned. But it never the, turned. I remember in the beginning, I never said anything to you about it, but I thought you were rocky in the beginning here at the dude. Yeah. We were. Um, and maybe not in the very beginning, but there were bursts where you were building your team, right, mm -hmm. as you were hiring people. Uh, but I think there was a lazy, fair attitude or there was a – I don't know if it's failure, but it was just slow. It was slow to ramp up. So yeah. was, it, was it around that time? Yeah. That was all the same time where I was trying so hard to get people comfortable with experimentation and going outside of the box. But, and there's not, still, but you still have to get your job – you still have to get your right, job done, right? Right. So getting them comfortable with we – we tried this new big thing and it failed yep. it, and getting them to be comfortable that we need to try things and that if we're hitting every sprint at a hundred percent. So if we sprint or if we plan for 10 points, every sprint, and we hit 10 points, every sprint to me, we're not doing something right. We right. need to be trying something. Maybe we hit 12 or we go to eight or right. we hit nine or we hit 15. You know, we're actually trying to make life better. So trying to infuse that with the group, it, it caused a bit of a dip where failure became okay. And I had to say, guys, this, this just isn't good enough. We're, we're here to win. Winning feels better. Let's actually do that. Right. So we worked through that and got out of it. But, so it, but that it did was take part time. Of your, but that was, again, it comes back to you building. And I do think, I'm not giving it all the, all the credit to you or to leadership, but I do think setting the tone for... So tr setting the culture yeah. 
is is not the team up. I think it's leadership down or yeah. le- or leadership around of setting. And everything you're talking about is you softly, mm-hmm. but firmly setting setting up that culture. I, I had that same story to Richard. I was uh, Richard was in. I taught a Metacasters. There was a local conference that um, just yesterday. We're coming off of a local conference called Tried Agile. Try Agile, and um, and the day before that, for the first time, they had a day of workshops, and I was fortunate enough to teach a workshop. And and Richard, uh, scrum master here at the dude, attended. And I was talking about tempo, mm-hmm. like 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. And I literally meant, I, I, like, I would, I would have really appreciated, like, let's say 10 was their velocity in stories, a team that took a risk and did two. So you want that failure, right. but you don't want it to be repeated. You mm-hmm. don't want it to be the goal. Uh, but I honor that. I mean, I actually wanted, I was joking in the class, I'm like, I want to crash and burn. I don't want a mediocre failure. Right. Uh, mediocre failures are okay, but, you know, that's sort of that monumental, we tried something just interesting, but it just did not work out, and we crashed and burned. And then to me, that leads to a really interesting retrospective, right? Like sometimes retrospectives, if you're not failing or stretching, mm-hmm. they're sort of boring right. a little bit. Yeah. But if you're taking those risks and you're learning and you're into continuous improvement, now you have this juicy activity that's going on. Well, then now the people talk about how do you do a, an interesting retro, and they have all these tools and games and things, and that's all useful. But it's look at look at what you're doing, and and have something come in that's worth talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And, and drives change. What else do we do? Continuous improvement, culture, like personal accountability. Let's bring it down to the person. Uh, so we've been talking a lot about organization and teams and software. Uh, I mean, uh, I'll look at you. I think you're interested in per- – you read. You mm-hmm. y- you are, you know, you're continuously – I continuously try to right. improve myself. I mean, I'm almost, you know, I'm almost excessive at it sometimes. I, I have too many books in play and too many things. Right, yeah. But I'd rather do that. How do you foster that in team members? Uh, or even do you need to like a mindset of personal accountability or personal improvement? That's part of our hiring process is trying to find that. Is, ah, so I I get the, yeah. oh, all right. I'm yeah, like sorry. one of the go ahead. One of the key questions that I ask is, um, okay, so we hire you, but we don't want you to work on a project for six months. We want you to learn something and then teach us. What's that one thing that you're dying to learn? You yep. just haven't had the time to go learn because what I'm looking for is somebody that has like 10 things queued up and like, Oh man, let me think about that. Cause there's like five things I want to do and I want to learn. So just, just, just that there's that hunger for learning because when we talk about what, what we look for, it's somebody that's smart, but the way that we define part of the way that we define that they're smart is they're always learning. They learn fast. They're hungry to learn because in our industry, technology never stays the same. You've got to learn five new languages to support this acquisition that just happened. Or There's all kinds of things that happen. So trying to find that mindset in people where learning is a part of the way they operate. So that's not – that may be nature nurture, but from the point of view, you're looking for that to be part of the nature coming in. Mm-hmm. On, and I buy that. So that is a culture, like how you're setting up the culture from a hiring point of right. view, right? Uh, I'm good with that. It was funny I was when you were talking about that. I flashback. I don't know what his name was, but remember that guy. I was I was uh, admiring the board, uh, the big yeah. lumber board, yeah. and and he proudly popped his head around. And yeah, Wes. Ex- yeah, Wes was explaining it. 
it's and it's not just the learning, but it's that energy, that pride in. Uh, and I'm now I'm exact, but I, I, I was actually compelling to me. Right. It was like he was proud of it. He was like showing me his board. Yeah. Right. I don't know if he did it or not. I don't know who. It, I think he was part of the group that built it. Yeah. yeah. And but even if he was, there's a pride here of. We we were doing different things, you know mm-hmm. that. And uh, he heard me talking about it, and like couldn't sit there. And just so it's continuous learning, uh, personal accountability, but also what energy or enthusiasm around that, right? Yeah, of just passion, right? Passion around that. So there's there's it's not just lip service. Um, what else? Uh, continuous improvement. We've talked about other stuff. You said taking risks earlier. You, yeah. And I, is there any other risk-taking areas where you, and this isn't a, I'm, I'm thinking about my own leadership style, but as part of set, setting the space for continuous I, improvement, is there any other things where you have to run, you have to run buffer for the team? So I think part of the thing is that you have to show the team that you're going to take risks and then they see you're comfortable taking appropriate risks. So then they're comfortable doing the same thing. I'm a big believer in setting an example for the team and walking the walk, just like I said a bit earlier is that if they see that I'm afraid to go and try something that maybe we haven't done before, is it really fair for me to ask them to operate the same way? So you as a leader, you have to say, yeah, we're going to do that. I know that's maybe not the way we've done it here before, yeah. but we want to try that and we want to make that happen. I've got your back and I'm going to support you. So forget failure. It's just risk-taking. So we're switching to, and it's it's related, but you're talking about risk-taking, creating an atmosphere that where it's safe to take risks mm-hmm. and it's safe to try things. It right. may, may not even be new th- a new thing, but someone's worried. I'm a new hire here. I know right. this works, right? but I'm so new at the dude. I don't know if it'll work here. Mm-hmm. And you're creating this... That's what I was wondering. I think that's true. Right. Of, of of those times along the way in the first two hackathons where they came to me and said, hey, I want to spend this money to do this. Yeah. And I kind of scratched my head and said, how does that really apply to us as a software company? And they were like, just trust us. You'll see. I'm like, okay, fine. Here's a couple hundred bucks. And then yeah. every hackathon we've had along the way – there's been something that's come out of left field that's, hey, we want to buy this piece of hardware or right. we want to buy this that we don't do. We want to do this that we don't do. Yep. And it's been kind of head scratcher like, okay, if you guys say so. But that's setting the space. You're right. setting the space for it. Uh, you could hit them with a no. Right. Even worse, you could hit them with, I'm writing a blog post now called Death by a Thousand Questions. Right. You could hit them with Death by a Thousand Questions. And what you're really saying is no. But right. You're, but you're not. But you don't do that. You sort of go along, you ask a clarifying question or two, mm-hmm. you scratch your head. Right. And, and you and I are, you know, we're not physically alike, but I think our leadership styles are alike. In my head, uh, you know, I'm pretty good at masking sometimes. I'm like, that sounds like the stupidest thing on the planet to me personally. Right. But I'm like, yeah, go for it. So, right. Yeah, great idea. I support. Here's the, here's the money for yeah. that. Uh, and I think as leader, you're creating that, you're creating that improvement space. And then you get this snowball effect. Right. Of, right. And so every hackathon has gotten like visibly better. Like yeah. if you're just on the outside, the quality of the projects that are produced, the investment from our folks in getting excited about it, in doing it, in presenting it at the end, and just 
the difference that it makes across our organization has increased every time. And I think part of that is because of the little wins along the way yeah. where we showed them we are going to give you the freedom to do that. And, yeah, it might not make a whole lot of sense. Like we, we had, a, we had a, a new engineer straight out of school that built, some, built a HipChat plug-in that you put in Ask Scott and it spits out this buzzword bingo thing that, you know, and he built it to say, ask Scott for a story. And it, it writes a story, you know, of, of this is, this is what the future would look like, or it does a speech, yeah, you know, and it creates a paragraph of things. And, and folks were like, well, but that, what, what value does it have? Like happy engineers. Exactly. Right. This, this kid was here for three days and he couldn't jump in and make a difference in the product, but he built something yep. that every day somebody goes in and uses that hip chat bot and gets yep. a laugh and gets a smile. Yep. And that makes our environment. Better. That's the culture. Right. That's the cultural side of it. I was coming into this metacast. We've actually had a role reversal. You notice that like I'm, I'm asking, so I'm talking a little bit. I know less. what you're doing here. I'm onto your tricks. No, no, but it's, I, I love the way this is, un, you know, unfolded. Um, and I'm not trying to sell it to the Medicaches, but I'm trying to point it out. But a real, we had a real world example. We talked about culture. Well, it went from continuous improvement to how do you create it to culture by that. Mm-hmm. And then we've had all of these examples of sort of doing that. And you don't manage it, you lead it, you create mm-hmm. the space for it. Uh, so I, I appreciate you sharing like the details here. I have one final question. It's like, you know, is there any, like, are you, and I think the, I know the answer, but I want to hear it as, are you influencing the, the leaders to influence other folks like Richard? So is there any special things? Is it just you creating the space or is it just you creating the space with the developers or are you creating a hierarchy where you know, like you're influencing Richard and giving him, if you give him space, then it actually reflects back to the team. Yeah. Cause so talk about the hierarchy of the, of the, uh, gosh, what are they? The, not the tribes, the, we call them the overhead. No, 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 no. The teams themselves, right? The squads, the squads. Thank yeah. you. I was blanking on it. So empowering the squads in total, any secrets there? Is it about Richard? Is it about coaching product owners and scrum masters? Or is it just is is it just the massive organization and everyone? I think it's the organization, but as we, the leaders, we call ourselves the overhead squad. As as we talk about that, is that we do our best to really embody the values that we're trying to hire people to match, and that we're asking the squads to operate under. So that's what I am getting. So it's yeah. not just you, right? And, and you're because it won't scale if it's just me, right? So there's an overhead. Monica is part yeah. of that overhead squad. Richard's part of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so there are. Right. So you're focusing on those folks as well. So you're situational, and you have you know sort of you know you have influence over everyone. Yeah. But you're make from a hiring perspective, you can't be everywhere, right? So the overhead squad, we've talked about that in the past. It's sort of a leadership-oriented squad or a set-the-tone-oriented yeah. squad. Yeah, so it's all of the traditional leadership roles within the organization yep. that we operate as a squad. Again, trying to eat our own dog food yep. and trying to show that we're as cross-functional just like we want the squads to be. But we aren't building product. We're trying to build the organization. So that's the product that we're trying to build. So we try and operate in much the same manner. So we do everything we can, and we call each other out a lot to make sure that 
we're operating with the values that the tribe has set up for ourselves. And part of that is taking those risks yep. and getting shit done and being a teammate and being smart and all those things. So do you, how do you think we did on this, this topic? I feel pretty good about it. Okay. How do you feel? I feel good. I was worried about it. You know, I was worried walking in. I'd like to put a bow on it, but I'd like to put a bow on it this way. I, I want to agree. So it's just so it's not Josh's story, Metacasters, I think there's threads here that apply to every organization mm-hmm. and, it, and the leadership lessons and things like that. Uh, I It rarely happens that I agree with Josh 100% of the time, but I agree with everything he said, aside from squads and guilds and Spotify stuff. So forget that. It's just every principle he talked about, I think that's how you inspire me personally. Not only have I coached it and seen it in clients, but I've personally operated much the way Josh is talking about, and I've seen continuous improvement and accountability. That's the way you do it. You don't dictate it. You don't manage it. It's not part of definition of done. Mm -hmm. It's a cultural element. And I think you build it. Uh, you, you can hire people, but very rarely do they bring this to, to bear in a high-performance agile organization. So you're more so taking away their baggage mm-hmm. on new hires rather than amplifying them as part of the culture. If, you, if you're lucky, you can get a few and, people. And that's something that we have to work through with our new hires is that we are different. We operate different. It's okay to yeah. take that risk, to try this, to speak up, to, to challenge. Almost unprogram them to then get them to adopt or trust the culture that you have here. Right? Yeah, so that so it does, so people don't walk in the door and just get it, right? They have that, his, that historical baggage that we have to try and unload from them. And that takes time and investment from multiple people yeah. to make that happen. Do you ever get anyone who comes in here, this is just a curious, like a metrics question, how many people, because you've grown so much, you've hired a lot, are there how many you get folks that are like close to the culture yeah. that you have? Yeah, we do. We we've um, we've had trouble um, with IBMers, okay, um, that want to make the shift, but working through the shift has taken time. Yeah, it takes longer. Um, Does so tenure? I would imagine. I would guess the tenure. If I'm a twenty year old, you know, if I'm a a twenty year vet of IBM or something. Yeah, and I'm not picking on old, but. The amount of time that I've spent in different companies, I'd have to unwind that. Yeah, because you've spent up, you've spent a certain amount of time building up habits. Yeah, good, bad, or indifferent, they're yep. different habits than we'd like to have here. Yeah, so you have to unwind those habits and build new ones. And the older the habits are, just the longer it takes takes to work through those. So, yep. knowing that when we hire somebody, we just know this is the culture they came from and we're going to have to work with them yep. to leave the old habits behind and build the new ones. And knowing that it's different for a kid straight out of school versus someone that's been yep. at IBM for 25 years, yeah. but they're a good hire. We want to hire them and we're willing to invest that time. So it's just knowing that it's going to be different for each person based on the history that they have. Cool. So Metacasters, the, these are not dude lessons. The, I mean, they are, they're dudes. So they're based in the real world. Uh, but they're not centric to here. And I don't think it's a scalability. Dude's relatively small, but don't look at that and say, oh, we couldn't do this at IBM. I think that's BS. I think it's you can do it. It might it might take longer. Uh, but scale is not – I don't think scale is, is the problem. I think it's w- will mm-hmm. is the problem. Intention are the problem. Leadership, acumen, and style is the problem. It takes courage. Like right. you, it, take, it takes courage. Uh, it takes fortitude to do stuff like this. 
Uh, but continuous improvement, again, going back to that license at the beginning, if you flip your Agile license around, your driver's license, continuous improvement is on the back. Mm -hmm. It's one of the things, you know, if you're going to use the A word, then then you you have to commit to continuous improvement in some fashion. That's part of it. Or stop using the A word, right. I think. Cool. Good job, Josh. Thanks for sharing so much of that we don't focus on the dude enough. So how do folks get a hold of us? However they found us before. Not on YouTube, though. We're yeah, not on YouTube yeah, yet. We are not on – I misspoke. I, You know, I can, I can barely tweet. I can barely <laughs> – there's so much – I do get so excited when I see a tweet from Bob. It doesn't happen it's that so often. Exciting. You know that. I do. I love it. All I get, this, all I get social, excited. I this, generally get excited. All this social gobbledygook just kills me. Yeah. So we, we are um, as many places as we can be. Uh, Twitter is my most active social media account. So if you want to get us directly, that's, that's your best bet. We've been getting a good run of comments on the blog, so that's good. That makes us happy because um, – there's likely other people that are out there that are having those same thoughts. So cool. please bring on those comments. We'd be yep. happy to create a dialogue. Feedback, comments, everything. Uh, yep. Greatest, rate us, uh, star us, heart us, whatever it is. <laughs> Just give us your feedback. And on topics as well. Oh, I have to share this before we, we sign off. So in my talk, you'll like this. In my talk yesterday, someone mm -hmm. came up to me at the end of the talk at the Triangle Conference. And he had his camera and he's like, I want you to say uh, from downtown whatever, <laughs> and which is our exit line, right? Yeah. And I didn't. I'm like, what the hell is he asking me? I mean, I said we're not in, we're not in Cary or Raleigh, and I didn't. He's like, that's not related to what I was talking about. And he's like, no, no, I want you to, you know, I'm going to tape, I'm going to video you, <laughs> and you have to say it. So, so I thought that was so. Not only are folks listening to us. The tagline is he's getting ingrained in this, folks. And I did it for him. It was, it was funny. I just I had a kick out of it. So from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake. And bake. Take care, y'all.